Right. Yeah, like in the last 60 days, it's like, remember how we were having a tennis conversation? I was texting you mm. about a tennis coach. Yeah. Uh, I told me tennis players just like it's like they just jump up a level one day. Yep. Like that's kind of like what happened to her, like lifestyle wise in the last 60 days. It's like she literally just jumped up a level. So it's kind of been like, oh, OK. All right. This is between ninth and 10th grade, right? Sure. Yeah. It's around the time we actually met. So. I was just thinking the same thing. So we got two great songs to cover together. Yeah, we do. We, this, I think excited about this. Today we're doing um, Biggie's Juicy, which is the first Biggie song we've done. I, I'm surprised by that. Like I, now that I think back through it, like, like actually, this is the first one we've done. We talked mm-hmm. about doing another one previously, but we're going to do Juicy today and Oasis's song "Live Forever," um, which is from their first album. Um, not. Not their most famous song, but certainly a famous one. Um, so, so yeah, it, it ought is to be an interesting to, conversation. Is it fair to say that Live Forever is what made them famous? That that album made them famous for sure. That song and Rock and Roll Star, which is also on the same album, are probably okay. the, the first jump. Um, generally speaking, or I, I, don't, I don't know about rock and roll history-wise, but like my memory of it because these songs were um live forever was 94 also so um which is the same time juicy was so my memory of that this time i was you know 13 14 15 years old my mem my memory of this oasis time is that the that album definitely maybe their first one that live forever comes from didn't really come across to the united states like I didn't start hearing those songs on the radio on 106.5 in Charlotte until like after What's the Story Morning Glory, which is the next album with Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova and Don't Look Back in Anger and all those huge, huge hits. So my memory, this this may be not true historically, but like my memory of the time is that that they crossed over the pond, so to speak, with What's the Story Morning Glory and then people filled backfilled this album in so what's the story morning glory it's like the following year or two though correct yes yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty soon thereafter i can i can look um right. i was I, saying I, 95 or 6 yeah right so i mean so you're probably catching this about what 97 ish is what you're feeling like maybe mm-hmm. yeah okay that's fair juicy is a little bit different in that regard what's the word on that anyway how quick did they release those 95 october 95 yeah Okay, so so their their jump over the pond was a fairly quick one. So yeah. the, it was. So they, I wrote it down on here to I think I wrote it down because it was important. It, the the definitely maybe that album came out on in August of ninety four, and Juice like the Biggie's album came out two weeks later. So the the, the actual album release dates were two weeks apart. Um, and yeah. so so and then Morning Glory was a year later after that. Um. Juicy was actually released as a single that same month too, like officially. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of historical context to Juicy that I'm going to kind of unpack and connect. Yeah, we need to. We're going to enjoy. Yeah, and it's it's one of the most important hip hop records ever. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most joyful hip hop records ever. It's one of the most honest hip hop records mm-hmm. ever. You know. The way that he even starts off the song is important before he actually starts rapping. 
that's the first note I have there too. I want you to talk about it first, but yeah. No, I want to actually hear your question first because I actually think this is one of those episodes where your questions are going to help me unravel and unpack so many things that I probably plan on saying, but it's going to come off better in that type of dialogue, I feel. Like, I mean, the opening, what he says at the beginning, and this is, you know, for all the teachers who told me I'd never amount to nothing and whatever. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a teacher, obviously. So that perks my ear up immediately um, because like it, it helps me focus on, it's, it's a reminder that the people who are good at school are not necessarily the ones who are going to be successful in life. And people have other skills beyond just my classroom. So it's, it's a good reminder not to, I mean, there are teachers in the world that say, you're a sorry piece of crap. You're never going to amount to nothing. Right. Like they, they there are people that say that um, yeah. I would never say those words directly, but I don't want my actions to imply that either. So it, it, it had made, it made me more conscious of, of that um, to start with. That's so, so that's, I mean, obviously he says other things at the beginning too, but. Um, well, go ahead. Go ahead. That, that was all. So let's unpack everything that he's saying, because what mm-hmm. he really does is he actually breaks down a lot of his socioeconomic background and mm-hmm. environment before he starts rapping. This goes out to all the teachers that told me I would never amount to nothing. That lets you know that he's coming from a substandard school system, obviously, because I've I've had teachers espouse rhetoric like that to me before. And it's been when I've lived in the most substandard living conditions area-wise. Okay? Okay. Then he goes, this is for the people who called the police on me when I was just hustling Listen to to what he says, trying to feed my daughter. See, he's like letting me know. It's like, you're calling the police on me. Like I'm an animal, but you don't even understand it. I don't want to do this. What he is expressing right there when he says, this is for all the people that called the police on me. Mm -hmm. When I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. Well, that connects to what the teachers are saying about how he's not going to be anything. See, he's connecting the dots actually for you about what his life is like. He's like, well, I don't have the skills. Remember that skill set you were just speaking of that doesn't necessarily right. make people successful? Well, he's got people telling him, well, you're going to be unsuccessful in school. Right. The people that he's living with in his apartment building are calling the police on him because he's a drug dealer. See, he's dealing with conflict and people thinking the worst of him everywhere. That's why he lets you know, I'm just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. Like, you don't even really know me. And then he says that, that connects to I, I have to I have to say this, too, because I, I wrote it down because I it was one of those moments. Um, most of these things connect to things that he says later in the song too, because he he has the line about putting five carrots in his baby girl's ear. Like that's the, that's the other side of, Mm -hmm. of that story, right? Like that's the, went from negative to positive, right? I mean, that's the, the other end of that. Correct. Correct. So he's letting you know what it was literally like for him right before all of this, before fame happened. He's literally letting you know in a brief little intro what his life was like. Yeah, my teachers told me I wasn't worth a damn. I'm living with these people who keep calling the police on me because I'm a drug dealer. But really, I got a baby girl and I'm really just finding a way to feed her. I'm a high school dropout. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And 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 then he brings it back to the community. And for all the niggas in the struggle, it's all good. Listen to everything. Just talked about all those negative things. And then he said, for all of my people in the struggle, 
And then he literally goes, it's all good, baby, baby. Like yeah. he breathes like literally hope and life all into, into that, all that despair he just explained before he starts rapping. Right. Like if I can do this, then, then the, like it's possible for you too. It's not starts, just... Yes. And, th- and that's the, the connectivity mm-hmm. of this song. There's not anybody with superstar charisma that ever probably connected the people on the level that he connected to people on on this song. Because, well, if you're a hip hop fan, even the way it starts off is a piece of history. Yep. He said, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, Salt and Pepper and Heavy D up in the limousine. Now, Word Up magazine was more of a cleaner rap publication. So they didn't put the easy E's and the cool G raps in Word Up. Salt and Pepper and Heavy D were in Word Up magazine. So that's what I mean about how the honesty and the connectivity of mm-hmm. it is so real, even the way he starts off. And then he goes, see, that's the clean side of it. But then he goes to the more grimy hip hop side of it. Every Saturday, Rap Attack, Mr. Magic, Marley Marl. Yep. Okay, Marley Marl at the time, when Biggie's making Juicy, is considered by most to be the greatest hip hop producer of all time. There okay. used to be this thing called the Rap Attack. We just put a flyer up of an mm-hmm. old Rap Attack on according to hip hop that you saw. That post, yep. that's what Biggie's talking about. So okay. it's a piece of New York and like hard, not hardcore in the sense of hardcore music, but it's a hardcore piece mm-hmm. in terms of like sedimentaries <laughs> yeah. of hip hop history. Right. And so he's going through what he grew up on in 80s hip hop. Well, if you're familiar with 80s hip hop, you're immediately connecting to this because also this is from a song that was made by an R&B group in 1983. So it's got a lot of 80s themes. Okay, right. so he's a 70s baby. So he's connecting to his audience and his age group. It's taken from, the loop is taken from Juicy Fruit by Entume. That okay. was released in 1983. He's talking about the rappers that he came up looking up to in 85, 86, 87, 88. So there's a nostalgic feel immediately just because of the mm-hmm. beat and because of how he starts off the song. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay, so <clears throat> let's give it some more um, contextualization. This is that even the hook, you know very well mm-hmm. who you are. That comes from right. the Juicy Group song, but a lot of people don't know that's the group total singing. Okay. He's going to help blow them up later that year with Can't You See. And so okay. they're, so so Puff is putting the team together right now, too. It's kind of like the sneaky thing about Juicy that people don't realize. This is the bad boy formula. Mm-hmm. that's about to win and win big on top of it being a piece of hip-hop history because this was the thing that showed puff well the 80 sample works for this era because that's the music we grew up on that all the people my age and big's age love all right mm-hmm. the girl singing the hook oh it works so he's got a girl group this is 1993 94 nobody right. knows to get because they don't come out until the new soundtrack the summer of 95 but can't you see which is featuring biggie but this is how long that group was around because that's them re-singing the hook. Okay, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's just a little piece of history for just even the components of who's singing on the song. Okay, like so, this is the, one of the only hip-hop songs that I know that has a melodic, like, sung hook that that's not the part that everybody quotes or sings of the song. Like, I can sing it, but, like, it's yeah. that's that's not the famous part of this song no he's the famous parts that's what's crazy about this is this is a classic r&b record and he actually took a classic r&b record and made it more famous mm-hmm. that's how that's how great and like impactful he can be and so i i really love the way the second verse starts off that's my favorite in the whole song oh yeah because i mean because this is what i mean about the honest honesty i went from a change to a common thief 
to up close and personal with Robin Leach. And I'm far from cheap. I smoke skunk with my peeps all day. Spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. Like he's the same guy. Yeah. You know, there's, and there's a lot of that in that song, too, where he's, yes, there's a lot I mean, of call that. the crib, same number, same hood. I mean, that's the same idea, too. Yes. Like, I'm still the same, so, even so, though I'm up close and personal with Robin Leach, who's so even, for those of you who don't know who that is, that's Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Yeah. Yeah. Champagne, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Mm-hmm. So he goes back to the original uh, ideas from the intro. Mm-hmm. Lunches brunches interviews by the pool considered a fool because what dropped out of high school high school and then what does he say this is the intelligent biggie that we actually never really got to see on record that much because he says it very briefly stereotypes of a black male misunderstood and it's still still all all good good. yeah and so those are the types of things that we would expect a chuck b a nas Mm -hmm. a krs one to say yeah masterful at sneaking things into records like no mc ever it's like it's that little gem of knowledge right there it's like boom and he's out with it because biggie was always more of a party starter and make you feel good type yeah. of guy okay you know he he's the he's the, he's the best blend of like nobody does the charismatic hit record and the evil genius record to the level that big does he does them both at a level mm-hmm that very few people have ever touched as far as the combination of both of those things he's that guy mm. another hip-hop history fact that i kind of want to cover if i can right quick yeah for sure is is that part of the legend of juicy is also the b-side and so this is part of where the making the hit record to go with the street mm-hmm. street record becomes a big thing the b-side to juicy is this record called unbelievable produced by dj premier okay dj premier is obviously one half of the legendary group gangstar and it's fresh off of producing three tracks off Nas's Illmatic. Okay. Unbelievable is his one contribution to Ready to Die. It's the B-side, the juicy. And so you're hearing like super happy and positive Biggie on the A-side when you get the tape. Mm-hmm. But then you get street Biggie on Unbelievable on the B-side. So Puff did a brilliant, like like masterful, like marketing job. Of oh, he's pitching. an excellent marketer. Like he's, oh, he's, he's one of the best. best. Yeah. As far as hip-hop goes, if you really look at the history of hip-hop, I know there might be people that have been better, like, actual businessmen in terms of what mm-hmm. the artist may think and even may have made more money. But in terms of that marketing aspect and understanding that, he's, oh, nobody's been, he's a better master. Than, nobody's been better than him in hip-hop at that. And this is the start of that, too, pairing Juicy and Unbelievable. Because <clears throat> as much as I love Juicy, well, for most hip-hop heads, Unbelievable might be the best track on Ready to Die. Nobody talks about Juicy in hip-hop circles. Mm -hmm. How about this? In hip-hop circles, Juicy is talked about like one of the best rap songs of all time, like for public consumption, but not maybe one of the five best songs on Ready to Die. Unbelievable is considered to be one of those songs. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're seeing his full brilliance literally on his first single in the B-side too. You're like, man, this dude can make a hit record, be honest with you. He can do that super gangster rap. It's like, oh, this guy's a star. He's about to run it, rap. It's hard to do. It's hard to do both, man. Like, yeah. it's hard to. Yeah. No, it's almost impossible, especially in rap, to do it at the level that he did it to make something like Juicy. That, like, literally, I mean, Juicy is one of those records that you can play in countries where they don't speak English and they know the words. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you and don't so know, not, like everybody can quote those things, right? Like, right. I mean, think about this. How many people say if you don't know? Now you know. Now you know. How many people, like, I can remember on Martin, it was baby, 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 all the time. Yeah. He, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, and um, we, we will do at some point um, uh, an episode about the classic hip hop references in Hamilton to like that are quoted or used, but that's one of them that is, that is used. Um, if you don't know, now, you know, he doesn't finish it um, the way that Biggie does, but um, in Hamilton, but the, but yeah, that's, that's one of those things. And I've had to explain there, there are a lot of, I mean, Hamilton is kind of a, like a pop culture sensation, obviously. Um, and it has brought, a lot of a lot of white people appreciate that in a way they don't appreciate classic hip hop. Um, so I've I've had to do some like explaining this is where this comes from kind of thing. I mean, and and Lin Manuel Miranda who wrote Hamilton is um, from Washington Heights, and so he grew up there and he grew up and he's the same. Well, he's not. He's probably he's like a couple of years older than us. So he's. Mm-hmm. he's not biggie's age but he, he would be like in between that age and mm-hmm. us. um so he he's growing up with all of these references he caught a lot, he caught a lot of that yeah um and th- i mean there's a song there's another hamilton song called uh, called the 10 dual commandments which is obviously a, a reference to the 10 crack commandments i mean there's and i'm sure i want i want to do hamilton with you because i know there's a lot of stuff in there that i'm not catching but yeah. But this, but I, I that all that to say that this is the if you don't know doubt now you know is a is one of those. Well, also too to reference that well that would make make the, the writer of Hamilton that puts him in high school when all of this is coming out. Right. So if this is all super impactful to him, that would put exactly. Juicy comes out in high school. Ten Crack Commandments is coming out as he's graduating or going to college. So that's right. like the time where you know what I mean. That's, that's a very impressionable time. It's yeah. the impressionable time. It's your formative youth. Yeah and, yeah and and there's so many like new york because he you know, obviously he was living in new york so um he grew up there he is um like the musical in the heights is about washington heights like so yeah. um he saw yeah. a lot coming up in that area so <clears throat> i think you've already um explained how you know biggie's consistent with the theme on here heather right mm-hmm. okay like yeah. the song wins on every level he's consistent with the theme He's touching on the negative aspects of his life. He's touching on the positive uh, interactions that he's having. Mm-hmm. He's touching on the stereotypes of black men on this plenty of times. Like mm-hmm. when he starts off, I'm more than a drug dealer. I'm just trying to feed my daughter. Stereotypes of a black male misunderstood. He's connecting those dots. Mm-hmm. So he's proven himself to be a wonderful and consistent writer on his first single too. Is I think what yeah. people miss. Because the record feels so good. You actually yeah. forget how well is he connecting all these dots. How like he's literally covering all the bases. It's lyrically sharp. It's a great storyline. It's a good beat. It makes you feel good. It makes you think for a moment. It makes you happy for him. It's really yeah. like an all-encompassing song. And this is his first single. And so yeah. what you're looking at is the start to like one of the truly brilliant rap minds and rap careers ever. And and it's time it's time dated too, so that you know who he is and where he is. Time to get paid. Blow up like the world, the world trade. trade. So that's what World Trade's what? That was 93. Yeah, Yeah, that's like February, March 93. For those of you who don't know, the the World Trade Center was like there was a bomb in the basement or whatever. This is not the planes on 9 11. This is like in 1993. There was. Yes, this is in the 90s. The World Trade Center was uh, somebody what ran into the basement level of the bottom floor and set off like three or four bombs, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So when he's making a reference, this is 1994. Well, we're only a year removed from the World Trade Mm -hmm. Center being bombed. So it's like, well, that puts you in the frame of mind. The way he starts off the third verse, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well. Super, Super Nintendo, Nintendo Sega Genesis. Yep. 
when I was dead broke, man, I didn't picture this because those things cost $300 even back then. Yep. Think about it costs damn near that now. I mean, I know it's more now, but think about it. it's 1992, 93, a Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis will cost you. Uh, you could get like the Super Nintendo with one controller and the game that came with it for like $199 if it was on sale. Mm-hmm. So when he's starting off that, he's connecting to all the people in the black community because this is really what he's talking about. He's talking about Christmas time and not yep. being able to gifts for your family. And he keeps the theme consistent. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 50 inch, uh, what do you say? 50 inch yeah. screen. 50 inch money, screen, money green leather money, sofa, yeah. Got got two ride, oh, phone bill about two G's flat. No need to worry, my account handles, handles that, that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he's bringing up the positive side of what's happening in his uh, life, but then he he doesn't forget where he come come from, you know. No heat. Wonder why Christmas missed yes. us. Birthdays was the worst, worst days. days. Now we ship champagne when we thirsty. That's the best line of the song to me. Yeah. Birthdays was the worst days. Now we ship the, champagne. The poetry in that line is exceptional. It like, is. It's brilliant. He's he. That's what I mean. Is it lost in uh, lost in the nostalgic and the good feel of this? Is the brilliant writer that you're in. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and and so what you're seeing is that and, and this is this is what I'm about to say. Of all the gifts that he has as an MC, you're actually seeing his best gift in that line. And that's why I love that line because he keeps using that contextualization skill. Biggie more than anybody else could contextualize things from the opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two ball. He does it on one of his last verses that he ever recorded before he died called Victory. It's one of my favorite lines that he ever had off the No Way Out album, Puff Daddy and the Family album. Mm-hmm. Well, the same way he did the whole birthdays was the worst days. Now we ship champagne when we Thursday. Like nobody was able to do with that seamlessly, contextualize those two feelings. He did that at the end, too. That's what I mean. His real gift is his ability to do that all the time and make it make you laugh, make you think. He used to on Victory, he goes, used to call me fat so now you call me castro that mm-hmm. was his thing he could contextualize both sides of things so quickly you know that's very and fast yeah that, that's very fast and so when you're seeing him do it on juicy it's like no no no. that was kind of like you know how ball players got a go-to move mm-hmm. that was biggie's go-to move actually because nobody could do that as beautifully as him you know what i mean yeah, the, the the writer thing to it it's talking about it like as a creative writer or just as a writer he doesn't speak in generalizations in a way that a lot of musicians do um he he has a a skill for concrete details like very super specific mm-hmm. um details that are so evocative that like it's not just the detail but it's all of the things that it brings with it too yes i mean i mean money green leather sofa is one um eating sardines for dinner is one of those that like jumps to me because that has that's not just a like it, it has the feeling of like i went through the cabinet and this is all there was like that's kind of the, right. the idea but, the but it also has a smell that comes with it it also has a taste that comes with it it also has the, the implication that most people think they're kind of disgusting. Like it's, it's that it has all of those things in one bar. And he's the best at that. It's that's hard to do. It's and he's the best at that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's here's another example of how great when he does it on the get money remix, he goes mm-hmm. guns. I bustle problems with my wife. Don't discuss them. Coops and Lear jets. I lust them. Fingerprints. I dust them. <laughs> that's, that's- that's everything. 
everything. Yeah. He's like, you want to know who he is? Guns, I bust them. Problems with my disgusting. Coops and Lear jets, I lust them. Fingerprints, I dust them. That's We're it. done here. There's a, there's a, you know, and so nobody was able to compact it like that. Juicy is really the start of that. And he just gets exceedingly better at it on every song. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just beautiful. In a beautiful yeah. moment. And, and, he, and he was so young. Like, he was, mm-hmm. he was what, 22 when he did this song, right? 21, 22? And, and keep in mind, he had only been rapping like regularly, regularly, like hard at it for like three or so years, like taking mm-hmm. it seriously. So like people have to understand the time that he took seriously to get to ready to die was about the time it took for him to make life after death. So we're talking about like in about a five or six year period, he mm-hmm. went from like an above average rapper to somebody who you could say was the best rapper that ever lived. Right. About five years. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there were, there was there was work at it and there was natural talent too. I mean, and, and that's, that's another one of those things. Like Very Michael he Jordan. hit at the same hit, hit at the right time. He was living in the right place. He had the natural talent. He also had the work ethic. He had all of those things that all kind of Very married Jordan. together all at once. Yes. Very Michael Jordan. Like it's like people forget. It's like, no, no. Michael Jordan is one of the most talented basketball players ever too. He just happens to be, it's like when the most talented player is the most hardest working player. Yeah. and has all the intangibles it's like well just like you can't teach mike's 48 inch vertical well, you right. can't teach that voice and that delivery no no that voice is one of the most iconic voices yeah. in any music ever yes like that's he, what i mean i don't, yeah. I don't want to make him like freddie yeah. mercury because it doesn't sound like freddie mercury at all but it's like one of those voices that is like one of the it, it is it's in it, a special it is a weapon and an instrument both no it's, it's like this it's like you know there's <clears throat> there's that hallway like in the hall of fame that like barry sanders and jim brown and tom brady and joe montana are in. like the top of the top of the top right well voices go the same way so it's mm-hmm. like no freddie mercury and biggie are in that hallway hallway where it's mm-hmm. like no 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 ever period yeah. you know what i mean so it's different hallways to it no he's in that hallway like and I, I don't think there are a lot of rappers in that hallway like him chuck d method man and tupac are the people that come to mind yeah yeah, yeah. I, have, I have a question this song is from his first album Ready um, to die. Yeah. yeah um and he says it's his first single too right yeah it's okay. first single. Um, but it's also narrated the song is narrated from the perspective of somebody who's already made it like so okay. how exactly is he like speaking it into existence is he like manifesting it or has he already like made some money yeah. before that that's it's a great question, actually. So manifestation has already taken place because Biggie's been rolling with Puff for a couple of years when Ready okay. to Die. The first recording sessions for Ready to Die started late 1992, I believe, okay. early 93. So mm-hmm. this is summer of 94. So it's been about 20 to 24 months with Puff already. He's done um, the Dolly My Baby remix with Supercat, the What's the One 411 remix with Mary J. Blige. Um, he's been rolling around with Tupac. I was about to say, I thought they were friends like early in they were the, friends. early this, in this. Yeah, before Ready to Die is when they're friends. So he's rolling around with Nas back then too a little bit. All these guys kind of, you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. think Tupac and Nas really knew each other, but Big Puff is trying to sign Nas to Bad Boy too. Before Craig Mack, it, like Puff wanted it to be Biggie and Nas. So it's like you, you hear Nas reference that. He's got good taste anyway. <laughs> he's got excellent taste. He's got the best. I told you this guy's a genius. It's like, oh, yeah. he hears Biggie, he hears Nas. He's like, oh, I want to sign these two guys. Well, duh. Right. <laughs> so some of the come up and notoriety has already happened. Party and bullshit off the Who's the Man soundtrack has come mm-hmm. out. So he's made some money and got some bust. He's not rich. Okay. 
but he's made some money. He's not like, he's not bad, 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 bad off. He's done Who's the Man. I think Who Shot You may have been recorded by then too. So he's made records that he's getting some notoriety for by the time Juicy's coming out. Like we know who Big is. Okay. Yeah. So so he's not, he's not like impoverished and making this song and like speaking things into existence. He, he is not, living that way, sort of. He does, He's not like as wealthy as he would be, obviously, but like he is moving in that direction it's getting made things are happening fast yeah when juicy's getting made things are literally changing fast you know yeah. what i'm saying like puff is pulling up in the projects like in the range rover and taking into the studio mm-hmm. you know what i mean shit's changing that makes sense okay cool yeah. so, so this so, is like so juicy is actually during the comeuppance oh cool yeah so it, this is like the the celebration of yeah. this new life and going from he says going yeah. from negative to positive right yeah. like the, this deal, is, the deal sign he's been making records one of the connections here too is that live forever is a celebratory record too um and it's coming after the the peak grunge navel gazing depressive um i don't want i'm an anti-rock star i don't really want to be a rock star i like the money but like not the I don't like the fame. I don't like this. I want you all to leave me alone. I mean, that's the Kurt Cobain and Billy Corgan and all of that stuff. Right. But Oasis is the first rock, like rock band that you would consider in a kind of, they're not really grunge. They're more um, Beatles spinoff, like a modern version of that. But um, like the style of music with more layers and more electric guitars. But they were one of the first bands in like that generation to say no i want to be a star like i want to be um like i want everybody looking at me i mean that's what the song rock and roll star is about i like fame yeah it's it, and it's a good thing um mm-hmm. um it comes with cocaine as we'll talk about in a minute all right there, there's a couple things that uh, i went back to my notes right quick while i was waiting for this to reset um that i wanted to point out too um i, I did say like that the first lines of all the verses are super iconic um, but they're all like different cadences too. Like it's the same beat, but the the flow is different on all three. Like like in most rock and roll songs or whatever, you have the same when you have the same chord progression, you sing basically the same rhythm in the lines or whatever. Like yeah. the same the, where the words fall or the guitar guitars change or whatever guitar chords change, you you keep them basically the same. Um, but all three of those, I mean, it's the same beat, but um, it was all a dream. Used to read Word Up magazine, um, and then made the change from Common Thief to Up Close and Personal with Robin Leach, and then Super Nintendo Sega Genesis. All three of them are are different. Like the the, the cadence of the flow is different too. So what you're hearing on his first single, that's what I mean about a lot of the brilliance goes unstated. So I was talking about how the writing part's unstated. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to the fact part of what is stated. Well, immediately what you hear is somebody who already has one of the best flows and cadences you have ever heard on record. It's on nuts. One song. It's nuts. Okay. Yeah. I always tell people, and there's a reason that there's a picture of him behind mm-hmm. me. Okay. Yep. The there's a picture of him in my classroom too, actually. There's a picture of him behind me mm-hmm. because he's the master of the flow in cadence. Mm-hmm. Above any rapper who ever lived, and the only person I think flow and cadence-wise is close to him is Method Man, who coincidentally, coincidentally enough, is the only guest appearance on Ready to Die. It's Method Man on the what? It's the only guest appearance on Ready to Die. It's Method Man and Biggie. If you're a hip hop fan, 
I think that you already have not heard that record. It is truly one of the beautiful moments in hip hop history, definitely vocally. Hearing Biggie and Method Man vocally together is a beautiful thing. It never gets old. But everything that you're talking about, well, nobody had really done it to that level before. I could show you MCs where they had done it. But there was something about this that felt intentional approach-wise to change it up. Yeah. And so you it definitely back, feels like he did it on purpose, for sure. And you go back and you hear things about how, well, he used to listen to country music and study the melodies of like pop music and blues singers and Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. And so what you're hearing is somebody, and listen to what I'm about to say, because <clears throat> like we're talking about his comeuppance, right? Right. Okay, the guy lyrically who died in 1997, he does not exist, but in brief moments and stretches in 1993, 94, 92, okay? There's okay. flashes, but the lyricist isn't there yet. The lyricist is not where the flow and the cadence is. Okay. Biggie's comeuppance is coming around guys like Raekwon, mm-hmm. Method Man, Nas, Tretch from Naughty by Nature. These are guys who are considered to be more lyrically sharp and precise right. than because they were. Mm-hmm. So he made the flow and the cadence his thing. He couldn't be like in 1993, 94, nobody thinks that he's the lyricist that Nas is or even that Method Man is or that Tretch is. Not lyrically speaking, Mm -hmm. but that flow, that cadence, it put him right there. It put him in the conversation because it was so beautiful. He was doing something with it. And it's almost like, well, that's his flow and his cadence is the prime example of somebody taking their gift that they're already brilliant at Mm -hmm. and working on it and maximizing it. You know, yeah. like he wasn't concerned with being the best lyricist. I don't think he felt like because of Nas specifically, I don't think he felt like that was attainable, but he yeah. knew what his voice and what his delivery was like. And he worked on it and it just got better and better and better and better. So what you are hearing is the early stages of him switching it up. He's trying stuff. I tell people Ready to Die is the greatest hip hop experimental classic album ever because Ready to Die is getting made in a time where hip hop doesn't know where it's going mm-hmm. and Ready to Die helped give it some of its focus for the next four to five years. Actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, like what ready, what, what hip hop sounds like in 92, 93 like is when Ready to Die is getting recorded. Well, stuff is kind of everywhere. Tribe mm-hmm. is on their third album. Daylight's on their third album. Wu-Tang Clan's popping up. You're hearing Nas pop up. Naughty by Nature and all those things, the kind of public enemy NWA thing is dying down. Snoop and Dre have just hit it big. You know, that's all new. Mm-hmm. And so hip hop's going in a lot of directions, in particular East Coast hip hop. Ready to Die helped navigate those waters. This record helped navigate those waters. Okay. His flow and his cadence helped change everything for him as an artist because it mm-hmm. put him with his peers you know, to the point that he was considered to be an upper echelon lyricist, but it was really more the flow and the cadence of it. Oh, and just one quick thing before we jump to Oasis. Sometimes being celebratory is in the nature of the human being, and you can hear it on record. There's a pure joy to Biggie. He's able to make celebratory records because he really was kind of a celebratory person. When you hear him spread love, it's the Brooklyn way. You can tell he feels that. You believe it because he believes it. And here's some proof the life of that. This guy was making dubs of Ready to Die for people in his neighborhood in Brooklyn out of his apartment <laughs> when it got done. Think about it. You're getting paid off of record sales. 
but he loves his neighborhood so much. When we talk about spread love, it's the Brooklyn way is real. He was making dubs of ready to die in the neighborhood for people. Yeah. That's spread love. It's the Brooklyn yeah, way. And, One of the greatest rap albums of all time is sitting around on dub tapes in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's, man, that's, I mean, those are things have got to be worth millions of dollars now. Like if, if there's I mean, still- anybody that has those tapes, I think I forgot who it was, the way the story goes, but somebody like had to run up in there. Because this is what I mean about how this is all during the come up. It's big doesn't even understand how big of a star he already even was. Like somebody right. had to run up in the crib telling my hell, stop doing shit. Like you're about to be the biggest rapper, <laughs> like whoever. Do you cut that out? Yeah. 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 So. Some, some of that's spreading love, and some of that's like you, you get the feel that. He's so proud of it. Like he he loves what he's made and he just wants to share it with people. And yeah. like, yeah. I don't want to wait on this fucking record company. Let me, let right. Me, let he's me. not used to that. He's a street dude. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm going to wait for the record company, for, for people in my neighborhood to hear my music. Imagine how that sounds to a guy that's growing up in Bedford Stuyvesant, in some Brooklyn. It's like, yeah. you're telling me that my block can't hear my record until the record company that's where's the record company at? Where y'all at? Y'all in Manhattan? We in Brooklyn right now. We on the block. I'm dubbing the tape. Yeah. And it puts speaker out the window. Y'all can hear it. Yeah, yep. Radio Raheem style, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's jump over the pond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is <clears throat> Oasis is just such a fascinating group. Um, they had more than two albums, but only, as far as I'm concerned, only two good ones. Like <laughs> the, the others, the others are like very, which which is a biggie thing too, right? He only had two um and so they, they they recorded other albums later but they they were very like hit or miss kind of retread of what they what they'd made before um the first two albums um definitely maybe and what's the story morning glory are pretty perfect rock and roll albums like they're they're i mean we're talking about live forever the song which is from the first record but the both of those albums to me are ones that I listen to over and over and over and over and over. There's, they're just fun. They're joyful. Many of the songs we've talked about from my side, like especially that come from the nineties, um, the Nirvana song, smashing pumpkin songs, those kinds of things are pretty dark. Um, mm-hmm. And these songs are not <laughs> at all. They are, I mean, even the ones that are talking about um, talking about drugs and partying and stuff like that um, are done in a celebratory sense not a i'm going to die sense the the actual story was the actual song morning glory from what's the story morning glory it starts all your dreams are made when you're chained to the mirror and the razor blade today's the day that all the world can see like it's i mean there's some pretty explicit like drug references in there um they have a song on the first record called cigarettes and alcohol um that is i mean so so they're they're they are embracing that what you think of as a rock and roll lifestyle in a way that many of the other 90s artists don't kind of like biggie with 10 crack commandments it's like mm-hmm. no they're actually making it kind of like fun and celebratory still yeah you know yeah, yeah. no I, I when you said that i thought two things when you were just doing that brief rundown of them i immediately thought about biggie and how he t- that's what i mean about the evil genes mm-hmm. like crack commandments is the epitome of evil genes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like when well, he's talking about his former trade as a drug dealer, but he's making it really funny and entertaining mm-hmm. and thoughtful, yeah. intricate as a writer. And yeah. so I can see that connection between them two again. I thought of something. Mm-hmm. You know, I know earlier on you were talking about how they were kind of like a group that wasn't anti fame. 
Right. It's like, I want fame. Yep, well, absolutely. Now, well, now that you've said that, and now that you're also saying where their first two albums, you know, where they acquired most of their money and their fame, where their only two good records did fame get to them. Oh, yeah. Because, Without question. Okay. Because, I mean, because that usually musically, if you're telling me they made three more albums after the two albums that they acquired. At least. Money, there may be albums. others, too. I don't, I don't remember exactly. But, okay. I mean, there, there's definitely several others. Well, I mean, that's the dangerous thing about fame is actually what I was thinking about and how, yeah. you know, can affect you even. The, the other part of this that... Um, is is well known at least in rock and roll whatever is that um, the two the the singer the lead singer and the lead guitarist the songwriters are brothers um, and um, Liam and Noel Gallagher Noel's the older brother he's the guitarist he's the serious one he's the voice you hear on um, Don't Look Back in Anger for example he, he sings on some of the songs but and he's usually singing harmony for most of them but the the main voice like in Live Forever and most of their famous songs is is Liam um, Noel. Noel is is the um the older serious like serious musician kind of guy. He's he's kind of snotty, like he's kind of um holier than thou a little bit. Um Liam oh. is the um shitheaded little brother. Like he is the um Noel tells a story like when they were they had to share they're a Manchester working class family. So um so they had shared a bedroom when they were growing up and, and Noel's five years, I think old five years older. So um, he like bought this like new, like stereo system or whatever, not like a big one, but like what he could afford. And he, he would have been you know, 17 or 18 or whatever. And maybe not a little older, but um, Liam came in the room after getting like pissed drunk one night and like peed on the, the stereo system and ruined it um because he was too drunk to get up and find the bathroom like is, is that and, and there's the stories like that that follow them all the way through and they still like now today hate each other's guts they won't play with each other they won't um they can't be in the same same room with each other they they're um the the, uh, the other iconic story i mean they have lots of canceled concerts too because the like one of them wouldn't show up or whatever. Wow. I didn't know um, any of it. Oh yeah. The, the, the most famous of the stories probably is the MTV unplugged one. There's another MTV unplugged story. Um, they were supposed to play MTV unplugged and Liam um, didn't show up. So Noel goes on the, on the stage and he's playing all Wonderwall and he's playing all the songs that Liam sings. And then um, Liam does show up later in the show and he's like sitting in the balcony heckling him as He's playing the songs. It's it's the show is really good. It's painful to watch though. They they really like actively don't like each other though. And when they say like they ask both of them in interviews because they both have solo careers now. Um, they ask both of them, "Are you ever going to get Oasis back together?" And they both say basically, "It's up to Noel. It's up to Liam. Like it's up to the other one to apologize for what they've done." So that's a no. What's a no? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's all interesting. I would have never even. So they're <clears throat> they're actually like living this fame and rock star lifestyle that they wanted to acquire, and then they acquired it, and it appears to have torn their family apart too. Yeah, yeah. So and, 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 and they didn't really super super. I mean, from, like I told you the original story, like they didn't like super super like each other to start with, like right. But obviously, the fame and cocaine and drinking and what everything else kind of. Um, tore on at that fabric for sure 
Yeah, it just magnifies those issues. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 so to this record, so you're so, <clears throat> which one of them is the songwriter or the main um, songwriter? Usually, Noel is the songwriter. So he's the serious one, but he's yeah. writing the celebratory music. So maybe that's way his way of channeling. Maybe that's why yeah. he is so serious. He's channeling through the music. And, and he still had drinking and drug problems too. I'm not saying that like he's like this angel child. Like is, but he is certainly the more serious of the musicians for sure. Okay. Okay. So he's not. He's not a boy scout by any means either. No. <laughs> you're just saying he's more serious when he's just big brother. Then is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. He. That's okay. that's, that's what he is. Okay, so did he write this? Did they co-write together? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Noel wrote it. He, I can look it up, but... I mean, did the, he write like, their material? He, he wrote most of them, for sure. Okay. So, kind of, um, who did we just cover? Um, from Queens? Um, God. Simon and, Gar Simon and Garfunkel? Paul Simon, yeah. Is this kind of like a Simon and Garfunkel type of situation? Yeah, kind of. I mean, they're, they're friends they were friends and obviously noel and liam are brothers but um i mean musically yeah i mean yeah i, I guess it works kind of like that because one of them's the song the excellent songwriter and one of them has the iconic voice right, right. i mean right let me see if this says yeah noel noel gallagher wrote live forever okay so big brother might you know be feeling like well Little brother sounds great, but whose words are he singing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Man, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that. You yeah. know, do you have a younger sibling? Do you have a younger brother? I have a younger brother, yeah, but he has Down syndrome, so it's it was a different. And which, and I love my brother, obviously, but it's it's a different kind of relationship, right? Than, than it would yeah. be. It, it is not competitive in the same way that most brothers would be, um, but. That, that said, we still did like, you know, wrestle and like beat the crap out yeah. of each other. Like, I mean, I, we're still brothers, right? Yeah, like, it's, right. It's, that, that part doesn't, doesn't go away just go because, away. Yep. <laughs> because of other things. But yeah, it's, but yes, there's definitely competition between okay. them. I've actually made a playlist. I mean, I, I might make it and like link it down here again. Um, of Liam Gallagher has, I forget what his band is called um now he has a band and noel gallagher's band's called the high flying birds um and like if you take they've really both released a couple solo projects like after oasis broke up mm -hmm. and if you take like the best four or five songs from each of those albums that would be if you and put those together that would be an incredible oasis album um but <laughs> they can't stand to be in the same room with each other so yeah so that happens yeah. But what happens when they can't stay in the room together? Songs like "Live Forever." Yeah, man, it's 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 an incredible, and and the lyrics are super simple too. It is. So I was gonna I was gonna say it's it's remarkably simple but mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, much of the narrative about them when they were younger, with at this age, was that they were ripping off the Beatles. Like there, and there are a lot of songs that sound very Beatles-ish, and they're using similar harmonies similar chord progressions and that kind of thing obviously the the guitars are a little fuzzier and 90s are than the beatles are but now, now where are the beatles from exactly liverpool which is another working class town 
Um, Manchester is how far from Liverpool? About what? Not very at all. Um, yeah, it's like 30, 45 minutes of memory service. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, it's, so, they're yeah. Both, so, okay, they're, both, they're both like steel town, industrial, like. Well, sure. okay. So I thought I was being lazy because the only musical influence and inspiration I could hear from listening to this song and some of the other stuff, I was like, it's very Beatles-ish. Mm-hmm. It is. You know? Yeah. But I was like, I was like, is that me being lazy? Because no, that's not you being lazy. They they are doing it absolutely hundred percent on purpose. Okay, because yeah. I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was afraid to say it. That's why I was asking you those things because yeah. I just did. I didn't want the black guy to look like he's being lazy by saying <laughs> the UK sounds like no, the no. Beatles. I, I mean, honestly, because it, it feels melody wise, it feels melody melody wise, especially with the guitar riffs that I've heard from some of the songs I've listened to. It feels very, very Beatles ish. Yeah, and, and they're doing it absolutely hundred percent on purpose. Okay, like, no, I'm they're, not they're they're like if you're going to copy somebody, you might as well copy the greatest, right? Like, no, I mean, especially if they're from like thirty minutes from where you're from. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Okay, so <clears throat> in hip hop relationship to that, you know, somebody I reference often, like. People used to say that Nas sounded like Tragedy Gaddafi in Cool G Rap. Well, Tragedy was like two blocks from Nas's neighborhood. Cool yeah. G Rap was from Corona Queens, about 15 minutes up the street. Yeah. It's like they they were respectively like three and five years older than him. Who would you think he was going to sound? Of course, like? yeah. Like the, the people so, that live close to him that sound like, yeah, sure, of course. Right. And so this is like, a, I look at that more of an imitation uh form of flattery type of thing and also too i mean nobody can be the beatles so it's like no. it has to be just that in order for you to respect it and accept it now what i would say because i got hip to them because they were really doing big numbers around this time did the beatles its influence affect those numbers because they were really really big numbers wise yeah um this would have been about the same time that that the beatles were releasing the um what are they called like the anthology beatles anthology mm-hmm. albums too would have been about this time too um but oasis was the biggest band in the world like by a lot at this point um right. and their their competition was i have to look up where blur was from have you heard of blur like the band blur not you pain. definitely I'm would not. know some of their songs for sure but like i about to say i probably know more i probably know more songs by bands and i even know bands um, you know what i mean the the so blur is um 1980 it was is london but um the the song too is their most famous song the woohoo song when i feel like he's at home woo-hoo. okay that that yeah. is that that's blur. Yeah. um they have yeah. the the other place you would know um let me make sure I, yeah damon alburn from is he's the the voice the non-hip-hop voice in the gorillas too like clint eastwood and feel good that that mm-hmm. is him as well um but they were they were like the competition the the two bands that kind of were feuding with each other or whatever before you know, they turned on themselves um at that point too this is they were oasis was like the first line of a, what they call the second british invasion um which is another beatles thing too in fact yeah no 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 that's what i mean it's like they kind of followed the the formula too mm-hmm. it seems like it's like hit it big jump over the pond hit it bigger mm-hmm. come back and tour yeah and look liverpool to manchester yes 32.9 miles between yeah i was about to say i didn't think they were very far apart it's not so I, I know like premier like soccer wise like liverpool and manchester yeah, yeah, liverpool, right? yeah like yeah. hit each other too like it's right just... right they got they got they got a, they got one of the biggest you know worldwide sports robberies but yeah they're saying it's a 37 minute drive with normal traffic so yeah. it's like they're just being so less than an hour 
Yeah, less than an hour. So they're being inspired by what they're around more. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I kind of like thought well, the highlight of this song was was actually the ending of it. I thought it had some like very like Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen type mm-hmm. like stadium guitar-ish ending. Yeah. You know, I feel like the ending of that song really kind of carries it to a level of it being one of those like iconic stadium songs it's that cross song, it over. Sure. It's an anthem song. So who are the guitar players? Like Noel's um, a guitar player too. No, no Gallagher is the is the there's like, an acoustic and an electric being played mm-hmm. at the end. Um, they would have layered like dozens of them on like a soundboard, but mm-hmm. um, even in the band, I mean, it's hard to say who the guitarists okay. were because well, I don't know. But like the brothers of the core is what you're saying. The brothers of the core, and the they didn't rotate musicians, but um, they they would have had beyond Noel usually two other guitarists playing as well. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a larger group, um. The other musicians, the drummer, the bass player, like they all rotated, um, especially after Morning Glory, because you think it's a pain in the butt being, you know, in a band with a brother that you hate. Try being like one of the other musicians watching the two of them bitch at each other all the time. Like, like, and and I think eventually a lot of them said, I'm, I I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. Like, so it's kind of funny. What I'm hearing is, is that the brothers' rivalry. You know, mm-hmm. is probably tore this band apart pretty yeah. much. Oh, without they, question, they didn't want to work with each other, but other people didn't want to work with them. Mm-hmm. There's drugs and there's alcohol, so like you know, it's kind of funny. It's, it's a rock like, and roll story, right? Right, it is, and we kind of castigate some of those like anti-fame uh, rock stars mm-hmm. from our era, of the '90s. But it's like, well, they made better music than these guys, though, now, didn't they? For longer too. Yeah. Right, yeah. and so there's is, just is Pearl Jam still playing together. Yes, they are. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it, Andrew. Mm-hmm. You're right. Pearl Jam is still playing together, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's a lot of the same guys too. The we'll get to Pearl Jam in a different episode. I've, I don't know which one we're going to talk about because I love Pearl Jam too. But um, they have their drummer actually was. I mean, their drummer. They've been through like three or four different drummers. That's one the one position they couldn't keep somebody. The drummer that plays with them now is Matt Cameron, who played with originally played with Soundgarden before Soundgarden okay. broke up. Okay. Um, but again, we're not going to get into Pearl Jam now, but, but they are a good counterpoint to the, to Oasis. Um, I think, um, as, as in that they were also one of the biggest bands in the world and also play, still play huge sold out stadium shows, mm-hmm. um, and all seem to mostly like each other. Their lead singer seems to be a, a genuinely nice and kind and human being that, pretty much everybody likes the Gallagher brothers are, 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 are prickly <laughs> to, to, right. to both, both each other and to other people too. Um, they there's, if you look, you can look on YouTube and find dozens of interviews with them kind of sparring with interviewers too. Oh, they're one of those. They're testy. Huh? Oh yeah. They're very testy and they still are like um, they, they, and, and they're very sensitive about each other too. Like when they're very like, it's the other person's fault still. And, the, and they're, they're older than us. They're like not 50 probably yet, but like, but yeah. So the older was probably 50 now, actually. Actually, they probably both are by now, but barely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like, 
I'm, I think it's just interesting when you juxtapose it uh, to who the person we're comparing it to, who mm-hmm. is somebody who was like notoriously loved by almost everybody mm-hmm. if he was around. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a big This party. is not a similarity between the two of them. <laughs> no, no, no. This is not similarity. Style of music similarity, check. Lifestyle habits, X. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, this was a guy that people gravitated towards and wanted to be around more. You know, yeah. so when you're so sweet, you know, it's just funny what fame does to people too. Mm-hmm. You know, like Big's fame actually drew people closer and closer to him. It looks like their fame drove people away, including them from each other. But you're saying that was already teetering anyway. The, the, the musicians drove them apart. Like people, people love Oasis. Like, like the like to hear them play and to hear the songs. I mean, they're they're anthemic. Like you said, like you heard the guitars at the end of Live Forever. I mean, it's. It draws it's, it's music that draws you in and it's yeah. and it is very melodic and is very sing-along it is not hard to sing um it is it's not like freddie mercury singing right i mean it's 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 music that is sing-alongable on purpose too i, I want to re-emphasize this too it is music also that is i mean the song literally is about it but it is about embracing life and embracing the joy of music and the joy of um it's a, it's a celebratory tree. this was released i mean definitely maybe was released like four or five months after kurt cobain died um too not on purpose i don't think it's just yeah so it's just it's one of those things and it, that it was it was a moment like where not that it stopped being cool to mumble and to stare at your navel and say i don't deserve this and blah, 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 blah. this was i mean liam gallagher is one of the most distinctive lead singers like his position i'm, I'm not going to stand up and do it because then you can see my pajama pants but like um he he sings like a, a, fe- a peacock like he he like leans forward with his hands behind his back to his microphone and he's just singing like that he'll occasionally play tambourine too but I mean, you see most front men like jumping and running around and like leaning back and forth and that. And he just, he's basically standing still wearing these like ridiculous sunglasses and like fluffy yeah. coats and yeah. Yeah, all kinds of bright colored stuff. He's, it is, is very peacockish. Mm-hmm. Very, very show, showmanshipy. Mm-hmm. Look at me now type of. Yeah yeah watch me spread my it's it's very rock star like 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 your classic rock star story kind of stuff um they're they're inviting that attention in a way that very few other 90s bands did so do you think that they were so they were probably for the united states because now when you put that together time-wise it's like well that's probably why they popped so big in the states because this type of rock and roll was not being made in the states Mm, not at all not ninety, not from ninety two to ninety five. No, nope. Mm-mm. That's uh, that's tragic kingdom, melancholy, sadness. Never mind. Sex, music, magic. And is that- yeah, that was before that too. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the type and, of stuff. And, that and that's part. It's blood sugar, sex, magic is like blood sugar, sex, magic. There we go. Is My fault. is like is dance music for sure, but it's pretty dark. Too, it's pretty like, dark no 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 i remember that record i love that album that's, it's, it's yeah. an amazing record we'll have again have another episode that we're probably we'll going to have something yeah we're probably going to cover a song or two off that album i would imagine you know now this is one of those things i don't know how much of an oasis uh fan 
this song is about to make me more than I already was privy to. Mm-hmm. But I do want to know more about these brothers and their story now. So this was cool for me. Yeah, you know, you, like you I love so. I love information and digs. So yeah. now I want to like go pull up some of their stuff. You know, I mean yeah. some of the interviews. Go, go watch their MTV Unplugged performance. Right. The MTV Unplugged thing was the first thing I was thinking. I was like, oh yeah, I was like, I want to see that. No, he really is. He's sitting in the the balcony because the even the MTV people didn't know he was there until he started shouting at the stage, <laughs> and 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 Noel is kind of frustrated, but also, I mean, just that's that's my brother. Like that's the kind of shit that he does. Like that's yes, this is why I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is this is why we all hate him. <laughs> no, we haven't talked about the lyrics in the song really at all. I don't know that we need to particularly. But you know, the lyrics are kind of um. And that's what I mean. Beatles inspired, but could never be the Beatles. Well, they're not touchy. They're mm-hmm. catchy, but they're not touchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or not as thoughtful as Beatles mm-hmm. lyrics are. They're missing the thought and the touch. Yeah. What the Beatles provide. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's it's John Lennon and Paul McCartney doing. That's, that's, that's Paul McCartney's Paul probably the best rock and roll songwriter that has ever lived. Like, wow, that's heavy to hear you say that. Who would you put there with Paul McCartney? Songwriting-wise? Songwriting wise? Yes. Um, some of the people we've talked about before, actually. Um, Joni Mitchell's in that, in that, say right. in, in that world. Yeah. Um, like, as a pure songwriter, John Lennon probably is, too. And Paul Simon probably. Okay. Um, Kirk Cobain probably is, too, honestly. Okay. Um, but, I love Cobain. You know but, but, but Paul McCartney is like... He's got the I, I saw. I'll, I'll see if I can make a comparison and, and then pull it off. Um, the there's a, a documentary that I saw like a clip of on YouTube where Rick Rubin's talking about Jay Z recording 99 Problems and him just coming in there and like doing stuff off the top of his head. That's psychotic genius. Paul McCartney can do the same thing with. Um, he's, he's just. I mean, and maybe and obviously he works at it and he's 70 and he does. Um, he's been practicing a long time, but. He feel, he's one of those guys that feels like he could just sit down on the piano and play whatever and it'd be a... Oh, right. He's right. that I mean, kind of like crazy genius, which is why the story of him, you know, dying in a car crash and like them replacing him is, is absurd. Like there's nobody else that can do that. There's nobody can do what he does is what you're saying. No. So not to drift too far off the topic because I know we probably need to jump back on and then jump out of here. Yeah. Was Paul McCartney a better songwriter than John Lennon when they were together in their prime? Like for most of the songs, Paul's? He was he was a more prolific songwriter. For there sure. we go. So John's um, more charismatic than the star. Paul's a better songwriter. It, 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 and, it, and it switched too, because switched. more of the songs earlier in their career um, through Revol- like Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, White Album, that's where it starts to change. Um, Many of those songs earlier are more John singing in Hard Day's Night in Rubber Soul's like half and half probably, but the, and it starts changing. And by the end, um, most of the, the famous latter half Beatles songs are McCartney songs. Um, or Let It Be Is, Hey Jude Is, um, Sergeant Pepper, like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is, When I'm 64 is, um, let's see, what I mean, Come Together is, like all of those songs are McCartney songs. 
Um, and, and Lennon has some, but they, they tell stories about the two of them. And this is a huge sidebar, I know, but like they tell stories about the two of them, like, like that John and Ringo or whatever would be like sitting out in the garden drinking tea or whatever and like relaxing. And Paul would be the one to come in there. So, like, hey guys, let's write some songs. Like, he's the one that's um, like driving a lot of that. Right. Yeah. Other guys just just like to get high more. I mean, I mean, at that at the late sixties, yeah, probably. Yeah. They just like to get high more than him. He's the worker. There's always a worker in the group. I'm not saying that'd be funny. There's always one guy. And he is. He is the one that is the yeah. He's the one who's driving a lot of it. Right. Yeah. There's always one person in there. I just see. I've always known. as somebody from the outside looking into the spear, it's always been looked at that they were co-driving forces. But the more I dig into it, I'm, that's why I was asking about the Paul thing, because it looks like he was more of the driving force. And his his melodic sense is one of the greatest ever. Like, yes. like I can agree with that. Like, he's, he's unreal. Well, when I bought up well, Who Belongs with the greatest, uh, you know, rock songwriters, and, you know, you went, you know, well, Johnny Mitchell, John Lennon, I'm thinking, well, they got two of the five greatest rock and roll songwriters in their group. So anybody that's trying to comparatively pattern themselves after them is always going to fall short. Always. But, yeah. because and, and, pro- and pro- they probably also had three of the top 20, too, because George Harrison also was. George Harrison's player. right. So that's never happening again. No. Musically ever. Mm. But. You can have a little nice little what two album run like always. Mm-hmm. Eh, that's my takeaway from that. It's like no, no, no. You can get a little, you can get a little glory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get a little of that. No, the this is this is one of those details. I, I think I feel like it was Q Magazine that did this, and like I mean, I've, I've read hundreds of like the greatest albums in rock and roll history, yeah. whatever um, articles, and the greatest American ones and the greatest British ones and the greatest, whatever. Um, The only rock and roll top, whatever list that this one was British, I believe Um, the only like top 100 list I've ever seen that didn't have a Beatles album as number one was Oasis is definitely maybe was first. Um, And I think probably they did that for, you know, you know, magazine sales but um but it's it's the only list i've ever seen that had anything other than a beatles album first and definitely maybe like front to back is a really good record too it's not just the song right. um, they have a right. lot of really good songs on it um right. so I was actually, go ahead that's go ahead. all i was actually thinking when you bought up q magazine q, Ma- q actually uh named juicy as the number one hip-hop song of all time mm. oh cool that's that's a Coming full circle, right? I mean, yeah, coming yeah. full circle totally. Yeah, they, they, they got Juicy's. I mean, and Juicy is just one of those things. See, this is <clears throat> that's why I was bringing up Ready to Die. My album tracks matter so much in the hip hop community, mm-hmm. I think, in ways that they don't matter in other communities. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, when you go look at Juicy, like if, <clears throat> if people from another planet were to come here mm-hmm. and they were to just read the literature, based on what they read, they would think Juicy is by far the best song on Ready to Die. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it reads like that. People in the hip hop community do not feel that way. I don't know one person that thinks Juicy is the best song on Ready to Die. 
Mm-hmm. Not I, I think it's the most famous song on Ready to Die. Easily. But but I, mean, I don't know enough to speak on the best. But I mean, I, I know it's the most famous because that's a whole nother show. But that literally is a whole nother show. It's yeah. Ready to Die is one of the 15 best rap albums that's ever been. Made, so, oh, yeah, there's, there's so many good songs on there. Like it's one of those things that you, you like click on and you look at it, look at the track list, and you're like, oh yeah, all these songs are really good. Like not yeah. just um Columbia's really, really that's one of my favorite ones. Um and Rock and Roll Star is great, Supersonic's great, um Cigarettes and Alcohol is great. Um a lot of them are, are you, you should I mean it's one of those like you told me to go listen to all of Good Kid Mad City. You should listen to all of definitely maybe. It's, okay. it's it's a really it's a really good record all the way through. When I put definitely up, definitely maybe immediately popped up, so it's definitely something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think you would like it. It, it is. It comes up, and even for, and the first song is called Rock and Roll Star. Like, mm-hmm. so it is intended as um, not just personality wise from the brothers as a a response to the navel gaze depressive stuff from the early 90s but it the track list is organized on purpose let me it's gonna start playing rock and roll star and i'm gonna have to turn this volume down so i don't get a copyright strike but the lyrics to rock and roll star are i live my life for the stars that shine people say it's just a waste of time then then they said i should feed my head that to me was just a day in bed i'll take my car and drive real far they're not concerned about the way we are and in my mind my dreams are real now we're concerned about the way i feel tonight i'm a rock and roll star like that is the chorus to the first song um, on that album. That is a manifesto in very much the same way that Juicy is um, in, in very much the same way as maybe I just want to fly. I want to live. Don't want to die. Um, maybe I just want to breathe. Maybe I just don't believe. Maybe you're the same as me. We see things I'll never see. You and I are going to live forever. Um that is one of the most unifying sentiments yeah. that the two brothers ever had together. I don't think Noel was writing about his brother when he said, you and I are going Probably. to live forever, but, but art takes shape he's talking to the audience, life. right? Like, but, but art takes shape and imitates life. Oftentimes. I mean, yeah. you know, the artist that I cover kind of predicted his own demise and his own death on a second album. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I mean, he named two albums ready to die in life after death. I mean, that's pretty prescient well how about this definitely maybe ends ends with married with children Mm -hmm. ready to die ends very much the same way suicidal thoughts all right that's i feel like we almost stopped there i I really wanted to ask you too um do we think of biggie in a better way and you can think of tupac tupac this way too actually um as as a greater because he died like kurt cobain like you asked me the same question about kurt i want to ask the same about big like is is his legend bigger because he died or or is he that great both okay so in tupac's case tupac had done enough material Mm -hmm. at least and it left enough material that we kind of like i didn't know where how about this Pac was in the middle of making the best music of his career when he died. Like he had found his stride and was on his stretch run. Okay. But he but he had also, you know, made a lot of material already, you know. So mm-hmm. his place musically, a little bit more firmly uh cemented. I think where big kind of gets 
overrated, but rightfully so is because, like I told you, we've never seen – like, he's a really great MC on Ready to Die. Mm-hmm. The guy on Life After Death is arguably the greatest rapper that ever lived, okay? okay. For one but you only album, get him on one album. But you only get that guy on one album, so the overrated comes from a lot of people will turn and then say, well – all the stuff Big made here was great and he was the best when he died. What if he would have just kept on? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when Tupac died, he was two years removed from having made Dear Mama. You feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He had already had a seminal type of rap moment right. and song. He had a few already by the time he mm-hmm. died. With Biggie, it felt like it kind of got cut short. And so when it gets cut short, a lot of people from my era, you know, inflate that because of it. Mm-hmm. Well, according to hip hop, I have a lot of younger cats. It's like, well, y'all can't inflate him. He only made two albums. That's not fair to everybody else. And we always tell them, you weren't there, dude. It's like this. <clears throat> I don't care what anybody says. You can watch all the highlight reels and I bought them a bro. You can watch all the highlight reels of Barry Sanders if you want. We watch those games. Yeah. It, it, he knew. was unreal. Right. We unreal. watch Detroit Lions teams that had no business ever competing at anything. Mm-hmm. Win whole games at times because that Just guy because would, of him. that would lit he would literally make a run or two, and they would win because of that. Well, that's different. And so when you give me somebody like even Ladanian Tomlinson mm-hmm. or Adrian Peterson, I'm like, no, 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 all time great. They're not Barry Sanders. No, you didn't they didn't. Scoop. They didn't make you like stand up like when you're like, watching like like like, 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 like how about this that like kind of that Tampa Bay defense? Yeah. That's one of the all-time greatest defenses. Mm-hmm. He had two 200-yard games against them in one season the year before they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Hello. You feel what and I'm he's, he's another one of those guys that stopped before, like, he had to as well. Right, like, that's why I brought him up. He stopped before anybody's like, well, you never seen him bad. And it's like, no, but I seen him. And it's like, yeah. no, give me 10 years of him over anybody like pretty much except for like maybe Walter Payton or Jim Brown. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, so sure. that's the kind of rule that I have with Biggie. It's like, because I always tell people Nas is the greatest MC of all time to me, but had he lived, do I think he's number one? Yep. Without yep. question. Right. And so there, so I mean, it was, it was not in, in comparison to Barry Sanders too. And many of the other people you would bring up the Kendrick Lamars of the world or whatever that. It wasn't Biggie's choice to stop, right? right? Like, like he didn't he didn't decide. Oh, I'm just not going to do this anymore. He was getting better when he like that's what I mean. Like he was somebody that was already considered to be in the conversation, and he was getting progressively better. So it was kind of like nobody we didn't know what to do with that. It was like hold yeah. on, it's like this happened. You know, like I always tell people, the best rappers I ever heard is Rockem in 1988, Nas from like Rockem pretty much from like. When you hear Narkin in 86, pretty much to 88, mm-hmm. Nas from 94 to 96, and Big in 1997, One Life After Death, those are the three greatest MCs I've ever heard. So it's... And, and, no, and nobody thinks Oasis is one of the greatest bands ever, like like the most talented bands ever. Like that's not, they're not in that mm-hmm. conversation at all. But, but they um, are, are they a band that whose albums I put on all the time and listen to, like when I'm driving places? Absolutely. Like... What's the story? Morning Glory um, was the album that I wrote like eighty percent of my papers in college to. Like it was just like background music and played right. and listened to while I wrote. Um, hmm. It's it, it is 
it is not background music, but it works as background music because I like I know the melodies well enough, and you can kind of sing along, but not really pay attention to it. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give you a group because I just thought about like maybe some hip hop context. They do totally different things stylistically, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes people forget that N.W.A. only made two albums and one EP, and mm-hmm. only one album with Ice Cube, who was the voice right. of the main rap group. And so mm-hmm. it's one of those things when people are like, well, N.W.A. is you know, the best rap group ever. I'm like, uh, not even top five, really. To me. And that's not to be disrespectful, but right. it's like, like, look at it. It's like, well, how can you say they're better than De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, and Outcast? Like, look at the material. Public Enemy, guys. yeah, sure. Public, public <laughs> Enemy. It's yeah. like, well, those guys made two albums in an EP, and their best rapper left after the first album. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think NWA struck a chord Mm-hmm. for a moment in time yeah absolutely and i think what you're talking about oasis is a comparable thing i think they struck mm-hmm. a chord in a moment in time and part of the reason they struck a chord is very similar to why nwa struck a chord well nwa is the an- antithesis to what public enemy was you know what i'm saying right to a people just like oasis the way you're contextualizing it, is the antithesis to the uh anti-fame uh american right. rock you know Absolutely. So their success for those moments and times have something to do with the parameters of what's going on around them as well, mm-hmm. not just the music. Yep, exactly. That seems yeah. like a good place to stop, actually. That's, that's perfect. Yeah, I think um, that is perfect. That was actually great. I actually love how that came together. Yeah. See how stuff always is starting to come together. It always kind of comes yeah, it, do, it does. And, and this one, you're right, this one is going to be long. 